Welcome to ConExpo ConAg Radio, where we bring you boots on the ground perspectives from construction business owners and industry experts about their successes, challenges, and whatever else is on their minds. Consider them your own personal mentors on technology implementation, equipment solutions, business management, and more, enabling you to apply their expertise to your business. Held every three years in Las Vegas, ConExpo ConAg is North America's largest construction trade show. For even more ways to connect with the industry, visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect. We've got another great guest on the show today, so let's dig in. Thank you so much for joining us for another season of Contractor Conversations on ConExpo ConAg Radio. I'm your host, Missy Sherber, and this year we're taking a deep dive into what it takes to be an effective leader in construction. From business development to employee recruitment and retention to enhancing your soft skills, we're here to help you level up. Joining us today is Alicia Brenzel, owner of Brex Enterprises. Based in Irwin, Pennsylvania, Brex is a WBE certified pipeline maintenance and services company founded in 2012 by Alicia and her husband, AJ. We'll discuss the challenges and lessons learned running a business with your spouse and how leaning into their unique strengths as leaders has helped accelerated growth and build stronger teams. Alicia, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and thank you to you. Thank you to ConExpo. Uh, considering the amazing amount of guests you've had on this show, there are such big shoes to fill. <laughs> you, you have big shoes to fill, but I have no doubt you'll fill them. Um, I mean, let's look at the just size of equipment that you have out there on your job sites on Instagram. So speaking of that, um, for those who may not know you, there, there's going to be listeners out there who might not uh, follow your amazing page out there on Instagram, Brex Enterprises. Why don't you give us a little background on how Brex got started? Um, not only that, your path into the industry. And you and I have already talked about this. Season two, we're hoping to dive a little deeper into the stories beyond the filtered photos is kind of what you and I <laughs> talked about. So Give us that background on Brex and how you got started, but, you know, give it to us Brex style, like the real down and dirty, gritty side of the story. So it actually starts probably about eight, eight years ago this month, actually. So the business is eight years old, but we still feel pretty young. And you'll see, I'm going to walk you through just kind of how, how we got to be where we are. And uh, you'll see, you'll just see how we progress. And it, it's, it's a story that I think people can relate to. So when you look back to the beginning, I would probably call the beginning of the business back in 2011. So before we were ever a business, it was just AJ and I graduating college. So we had met in college, we got engaged very, fairly quickly. And when we graduated, I got a job, dream job in the medical device industry. So I was working as a mechanical engineer, AJ, who pretty much went to school to wrestle. Um, he actually went to work for a family member doing utility and pipeline work. So he grew up in the industry with several family members doing utility, utility work. So he was very familiar with construction, home building, truck hauling. He kind of did it all. So he had a nice range of experience to know that, okay, this is a viable career for me. So finally in 2012, we ended up getting, we got married and I decided to go back to school for my MBA part-time and my career was going very well. And I was missing that marketing side of it. So based on that decision and where I wanted to grow my career in the medical device field, I had a great career. And so we decided 
that with that company backing that AJ could start his own company and we could take that jump to go out on our own, which honestly is the hardest part. So you kind of supported your full-time salary really supported Brex Enterprises starting. Um, and it was, was it a one man show in the beginning or, or how did that go? For the first two years, actually, it was, it was just AJ. It was AJ traveling hundred percent of the time, living in a camper trailer um, on different, different campsites, pretty much as a contract foreman for, for different companies. So he did that for the first two years. I was still working full time. I was going to school part time, but I was also kind of managing and getting my feet wet with understanding how to run a company financially. So while there weren't a lot of, you know, when you look at cash flow, there wasn't a ton of money going in and out. I was able to kind of grasp the basics of what we needed at that point. So that actually gets us to 2014, which is probably pretty relevant to mention that Con Expo, our first Con Expo was that year. And it's crazy how you can relate Con Expos with business growth for us. And they were very critical events in our business. And that I think it just makes it so surreal to be on this podcast because of that. <laughs> but our first Con Expo, which I'm sure as you know, going down that escalator, and seeing the equipment and the setup, you get so caught up in the excitement. Here's, here's me. I mean, I was in the medical device industry, had no construction knowledge. I didn't even know what equipment did or what they were called. And I got so wrapped up in it. And it was there at that Con Expo that propelled our business. So one, two crazy things happened. One, I found out I was pregnant there. So I was actually in Con Expo when I, you know, I got a positive test. So that was, that was life changing. But then also we left there with such, um, such a passion to grow our business that the very next week we hired our first employee. Wow. So you kind of were just enamored with everything happening at Con Expo. And you're right. You do go down that escalator. You see all the equipment and you really see like possibility. It's like this is possible. Like contractors are shopping in there for the largest size equipment for cranes for 349s. If they can do it, I can do it. Like it is, it's like possibility, right? Like the possibility seems so real and tangible. So it's pretty cool that you took that passion that is instilled at ConExpo and said, okay, we're making this move. So, so talk us through the first move of hiring your first employee. Cause that's a big step. You know, people might not understand when they see on Instagram, right? You have a team of people going, whatever that first one and the second and third, those are like huge learning curves. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is quite, quite the, uh, quite the jump because at that point you're really committed because it's not, it wasn't just AJ and I then, and if it failed, then, you know, we would make it work. But once you start to have employees relying on jobs and that for their own personal goals, it takes on a whole, a whole other, um, just kind of avenue for you and a whole other pressure and desire to, to make it work. So, um, so for the next year, we just kind of grew slowly adding an employee here and there. And what he was doing before we hired employees was he was pretty much a foreman of right of way clearing. So in the pipeline industry, looking at, um, clearing projects, mowing, he would be the foreman for that. And so once he hired as a first employee, he said, Hey, I, I can do the mowing too. So I've, I've observed it enough. 
And so that's really where our business started was in the pipeline industry with a skid loader, um, doing clearing and mowing. Yeah. Wow. And so over, um, over the next three years, um, we just, we really started growing. So that was, so 2014 is when, you know, I said, we started adding people. I actually found out I wasn't just pregnant, but I was pregnant with twins. Oh boy. Start a business, hire a guy, pregnant with twins, MBA, no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. So when we look back, it's a little fuzzy. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) And the thing was, he was still, he was still traveling. So after I finished my MBA, my career took a change into more of a marketing role. And so at the time I was starting to travel internationally and I was doing 10 day trips in Japan and China and Germany. And at the same time, I was still managing Brex financially while having twins. And um, it just, it just became a lot. So over those next three years, we actually decided to, to go full force all Brex and, and to leave to leave my corporate backing and my corporate job and support our business and support the family because we really felt we had something great. And so um, probably it was about 2016 when um, our growth started going into more dirt work. So once you're tied in with pipeline companies, um, that's the hard part is getting tied in with certain, certain companies, but then they really value contractors that can do a range of services for them. So it's not just having, you know, the right away mowing, but Hey, can you also do this for us? And so we, we took the jump from mowing to full pipeline excavation. And as you know, that translates into more equipment, yeah, <laughs> pretty much a whole change of pace, a whole change of scale. And that takes us right to 2017, which was our next Con Expo. So when we left the first one in 2014, we're like, we want to bring employees back to this, get them hyped, get them excited, attend the education classes. And it, so we, we took, I think, four employees. And it was great. The same thing. It, I had just left my job full-time in January, 2017. Um, I had just found out I was pregnant again. So um, I was pregnant at another Con Expo and um, we had our employees there and it was great. And everybody loved it and they got in the hype. We got good education training. And so we left there with big goals to grow our fleet, grow, grow our company size. And I'd like to say that year we took off and it was great, but it was actually probably our hardest year in business. It, yeah, it, it, it was a lot for us. So, and really the stakes were higher because I didn't have any backing. Um, but we also grew at a steady pace to where we weren't just a small couple people company. And so once you leave that phase, you need to be, you know, you need to have official things in place. You need to have processes in place. You need to have management outside of, um, the office and management inside of, you know, the field and it needs to be done um, all over. And we didn't scale that. Um, the, the point, you know, it was our lowest growth year. Um, we didn't do employee development and AJ still had to see every single job for it to go well. So while we didn't have processes in place, we were doing larger scale projects. Um, we had new equipment to pay for 
And honestly, we had trouble financing that equipment because we, it was a change of pace for us. Um, we couldn't get line of credit, lines of credit. So there were weeks where I was worried about payroll. Yeah. Yeah. Those chest aches that we've talked about in business, they're just so real, right? <laughs> you, you just get those, those, that pressure builds in your chest to a point where you're like, how, how do we go on? Um, and I feel a lot of businesses have that happen to them. And if you haven't, then you're probably, you're probably a rare company if you haven't had those growing pains. Not to mention that year we lost two big contracts over $1.5 million worth of work because of negligence. Um, and that was in the field. And so I left my company, was pregnant with my third child. Um, we had our lowest growth year ever, struggling to make payroll some weeks. Um, but if you buckle down and go back to your core values of what you're good at, you can make it through. And we did. And we looked at what our strengths were. So my strengths were I just spent six years in a corporate environment. Corporations are very good at employee development. They're very good at performance management. And honestly, construction companies that we had saw don't, didn't do that at that time. And so what we started doing was incorporating small things like that into our employees and incorporating processes of simple things like when you rent equipment, you know, what's the process to getting it returned quickly on time so you're not paying for an extra month of rent. And all those processes were put into place. And I'd like to say the last three years um, have gone very well because of that hard year. Yeah. So you had that difficult year in 2017. It was just kind of like either all in or we're done. I, you must be describing my 2020 at this point. <laughs> um, and you made that choice to just buckle down perfect the process because, you know, businesses do grow. It's exciting that to see, you know, a young company like yours or like ours, or there's a lot out there. We all go through that growth spurt. That's really exciting, right? Like the first three to four years. And you're like, it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> and then you, you ride the wave, you go to Con Expo, you see all the possibility and all the intentions are pure and right. And then it's the process that kind of bites you in the bum all of a sudden, like, oh, we have to perfect the process and procedures and, and we have to become a viable company. And that's why they say most are done after the first five years, you know, and it's pretty amazing that you buckled down. So what you really did is you used your corporate background and you said, Hey, let's buckle down, implement these processes, create them, which you are correct. They're not very common in the construction industry. It's just go, go, go get in the field, work, 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 go home, figure it out as you go, you know? Um, and then, so tell me any, like you made it through that year. How have the last three years looked for Brex? Cause I, I think it's pretty exciting to see coming what you've done. That's a good way to put it. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. And um, we've been very fortunate over the last three years to grow organically. And that is through quality work and just performing in the field and having good systems in place to where we are nine times the size of the company we were back in 2017. And, and it's, it's still fast growth and we still have growing pains, but um, we're a lot more attuned to change and to knowing when we have to change. Whereas, and when you're building a business, you, you haven't really lived through that yet. 
you haven't lived through that necessity of change. Um, that if you don't change, there's not going to be a business. And so once you go through that once, I feel like it makes all the you're future ready. steps. Yeah. Yeah. That much you're, easier. You're ready. So now fast forward to the last year, tell us the array of services you guys are providing. You're multiple companies at this point, correct? We're one company, but we have a, a, a range of services. So we have about 40 employees now. We have office staff, we have mechanics, and we also have drivers. And we do we do have our field staff of operators, laborers, foremen, and we have an, a great superintendent. So um, we take aspects of our business that we use for ourselves, like on-staff mechanics, um, our, our drivers who haul our equipment, and we've now started offering those services externally as well. Got it. So you, you're hiring, other companies are hiring you to do those same services for them. Correct. Yep. And awesome. we still, we still tackle our right away services, our mowing um, and pipeline maintenance, but we've also added site development. And as I mentioned, the hauling and maintenance services, and we did have another kid in there too. So it feels weird not to mention the fourth child we had. In yeah. There. Right. <laughs> so from 2012, uh, one employee, uh, one baby. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just you and AJ to 2020, 40 staff members and multiple divisions of the company. That is pretty incredible to see. Yeah. And it, so for the first couple of years, it was pretty, a pretty small scale. So when I say we felt like we still feel like a new company, I still feel like, you know, I, I kind of look at 2017 as really our starting point. Because that was the decision that needed to be made is, are we a real company, um, a real company set for growth, or do we want to go back to, um, you know, a, a smaller feel, which, which is great for a lot of companies as well. Um, the, but the way AJ and I sat down, we assessed our goals. We looked at what was important to both of us and said, let's go for it. Let's ramp it up and, and go with it. And so um, when we went into 2020 Con Expo, um, we we left with some crazy, crazy goals. It has been critical for our business this year as well. So we have pretty big stuff coming and we're very excited. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. So why don't we talk through a little bit more of like the, you know, I really want to make sure that we talk about your corporate background and what principles you brought into the construction business to make it like you said, are we a real business or not? How are we going to scale? How are we going to grow? So let's start with the fact that you've established a set of core values as a business, those being accountability, selfless leadership, and integrity. Why was it important for you to document those values and how has it shaped your company culture at Brex? So we actually never had anything documented in the beginning of the company. And that was just because we, I felt like we, we, we were winging it and we still wing it, but um, it all lived inside our heads. So AJ was on all the job sites. So he was able to model those values every day. And the whole company at that point had visibility to it. So at that point, it just wasn't really documented. But once we started growing and went over probably about the 10, 10 employee size mark, um, AJ didn't want the core of everything to be lost. And that's when we kind of put the paper and put those values on paper. We've revamped them twice now, um, but, at the, but at the core of it, I would honestly say it's just about being a good person. It's about having a company that we ourselves would want to work for. And at the end of the day, that's, 
that's the important thing to me is, you know, we are very motivated people. And if I don't work for a company that's motivating others, then I'm missing, I'm missing the mark. And the thing about culture is you just can't tell your employees what the culture is. It needs to be modeled and it needs to be lived every day. So while it was important to document and, and put names to it for our new employees, um, we still, we still need to model it every single day. And that, and that's honestly how you, you build a culture. So we actually use those values to evaluate our leaders in the company now. So we use it as a baseline to create a development plan for them as well. And um, we recognize the leaders in the company where they excel in those categories. Um, and then if there's anything they need to create a plan to improve on, that it, it gives an easy framework to go back on and, and reference. And when you look at hiring as well, it's the same thing as we look for those values in people. Yeah. You do this with your field team as well. Like, so to, for you, and this is where I tend to see companies lose sight of culture is it might be like fantastic in the office. So that's something I have recognized this year with our business is my office team knows like our values and our culture because I talk it, live it every day. Our field team is a little disconnected from it right now. Um, and it's been kind of like, well, shoot, I, I've missed the mark there. How, how did, how have you, and I've watched you on Instagram do it so well, you put your culture living and breathing out in the field. Um, you see that operating team, you, you've connected them well with your culture. How have you done that? What have been some of the, you know, stories or situations where it's like, hey, this is how we made it work to get our culture out into the field? And what you just said about, you know, the office staff and in the field, it's so true because I can write paragraph after paragraph at how great we are, what our culture is on Instagram. But if our employees don't feel that way, that's a problem. And so the, and AJ and I know what we want the company to be, but we're not in every spot at once. So how do you verify that? How do you verify what we're saying is true? And honestly, it comes down to ask them. And I've really been good at implementing surveys and getting out there and talking to employees and saying, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. And this is what we think is happening. Is it actually happening? And it's, and it's also just getting out to the job sites and I don't get to get out as much as I'd like, but when I'm out there, I, I do want to see, you know, people being accountable and leaders out there demonstrating how we want the company to run. And sometimes the best people to ask are the new employees. Yeah. To, to kind of ask. So you're saying maybe just have that discussion with the new staff members out in the field. Are you getting this feel of accountability and selfless leadership? Are you having that experience? Where can we make an improvement plan? And it sounds like you're really comfortable talking to your leaders about the state of the business when it comes to culture. Yeah. And honestly, unless you make it a priority, those conversations get lost in the day-to-day -day work stuff that happens. So we, we didn't have as many this year as we wanted, but we like to pull the whole company together at, at certain times and just do a you know, state of the union. What's everybody feeling? Um, how, you know, how is the day going? Are you learning? Are you being challenged? Um, are you frustrated? And, um, sometimes those conversations get lost when you're worried about how many feet do you need to expose of pipe this day or how fast you have to demo, you know, X, Y, or Z. And 
those conversations, you know, take place first a lot of the time. And so unless you're intentional about, about asking, it, it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. I think that's one thing I've really wanted to shine a spotlight on on Instagram is building a strong relationship between the office and field team, because the efficiencies that the field sees, they can change the game, our office game for the better is like what I've started to learn as we slow down and listen. What are, like you said, what are you frustrated? Why? Sometimes inefficiencies out in the field, we need to improve in the office. And as soon as we do, it's like more, it's efficient. It makes more money. It's like, wow, this field team member had the best suggestion. And so I love that you're saying, hey, as leaders, we have to pause and have those conversations with our field team and, and that you've actually picked specific values that you lead all those conversations with, which are accountability, selfless leadership, and integrity. Um, so that, that brings me to a question I was very excited to ask you, Alicia, is how would you describe your leadership style? Um, I think it's just very unique, your background, and then AJ's background, and then the fact that you're a mom, you're a leader, basically every hour of the day <laughs> at home on the field in the office. Um, but tell us about your leadership style, you know, and how you approach leadership now with 40 staff members and four children at home. I think the first thing to being a leader in different aspects of your life is being able to recognize where you need to lead more in the day and where you need to lead less and different things take priority in your day. So the thing about AJ and I is we actually have very similar leadership styles. So, and I think a lot of it stems from, we both played college sports. And if you've been on our Instagram, you've heard us talk about it before on, on how we think you learn valuable traits in these sports and they've helped shape leaders. And the way we lead is very hands-off. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's to a fault. So we like to give our employees flexibility to find their own way but step in when, when we need to. And, and that's kind of sometimes where we have a fault is the stepping in part sometimes comes too late. Um, but we, we are getting better at setting our expectations up front. But when you look at our leadership style, we never ask anything of our employees that we wouldn't do first. And when you look at selfless leadership and building people up, I think the best way to lead people is to show them you're right there with them. Um, I've shared with you a couple times that I'm a big fan of the Entre Leadership podcast and the distinction that's made between being a leader and being a boss. And when you look at a boss, it's often as, I don't want to say talking down to, but it's telling people what to do, where a leader is you're showing people how to do something and you're working with them. And um, so I, I would put our style, I don't know if there is an actual name to it, but um, it's, it's very hands-off and it, it encourages people to help become their own leader. Yeah. So it's hands-off, but you lead by example. There's a living example right in front of them. You're willing to do anything, which I think is an authentic leader. I mean, you're a hands-off leader, but you're an authentic leader, which I think is phenomenal. So let's talk a little bit more about you and AJ, because you just kind of mentioned you guys have similar leadership styles. Um, and you do run the business together. You're in a very similar situation as Trevor and I, um, as spouses owning a business together. How do you work to support each other and stay focused on your goals? Well, actually, at this point, I couldn't even imagine not working together. So 
when I worked full time in my own career, the only time we could talk about the company and talk about our goals was at night. And I don't know about you guys, but I am, I'm cranky at night. I just want to shut down and wind down. And he would come off the field feeling the same way. And um, we just never were able to reach our goals that way. And so um, once I jumped in full time, it's been a complete, you know, a complete 180 for us. And the key to our successful relationship is I think we focus on very different aspects of the company. And the key part of that is we recognize the value in what both of us do. So AJ is the what guy, we like to say, and I'm the how girl. So he's the big thinker and he's he is so good about seeing business opportunities before, before they exist. Me, on the other hand, I'm, I'm an engineer at heart. I'm very process oriented. I focus on how we do things and the processes in place and the steps to get to that angle. So we do really make a good team. Um, he's the idea guy, I'm the executioner. But, but the key part of it too is also we frequently talk about our goals and we, we know where each other wants to go personally, but we also know where to go as a company. And I know our business wouldn't be where we were today without him. And he knows the same for me as well. So the hard part is, you know, we're husband and wife, we're mom and dad to kids, we're best friends, we're coworkers, we're peers. So there's a lot of roles we play together with each other. And the hard part is learning what role you need to be in to support each other. And that, and that is not all that different from regular you know, business partners, regular coworkers, because if you can pick up where your partner or, you know, your coworker needs some help, why not give it to them? It, and so that's kind of the way we approach things. And while we've never really had a hard set role that we can't be both stressed at the same time, when I'm stressed, he is that positive light. And I know when he's stressed, I do the same for him. Both of us stressed is a bad, is a bad spot. Yeah. I like that you're bringing that up. We just had a, um, a bid where it was just, we were disappointed and we were both disappointed at the same time. And then we were both frustrated at the same time. Like right away we go into how could we have saved that? What could we have done different, better? And I started verbalizing that right away. Well, we should have done this. And, oh, you know, this is why I want to do this. And this is why the process. And I was like, in that moment, I realized, okay, pause. This is your moment to be a wife, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> not a business partner. And to be like, ah, oh, that was a hard one to lose. How are you feeling? Do we need to go grab a burger together? You know, that's, and, and so it's those learning curves, right? Of like, which role what's the appropriate time? I think a lot of construction couples out there need to hear what you just said. There's all these different roles and there's a different place and time for those roles to come into play. And trying not to always have them mixed up is okay. Like there's, there's a time and a place to be business partners. There's a time and a place to be husband and wife, mom and dad. Um, so I'm really glad you said that. It triggered me and what recently happened to us. And I think a lot of couples out there need to hear that. There is a way to make it work. Um, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to be in business with your spouse, but it is navigating the roles and when they need you to be, <laughs> who they married you to be. Right? Yep. Yep. And we talked about the negative, but there's also to that positive side of it too, is um, he is, he's very humble and 
I love him for that, but um, I want to celebrate sometimes. And he just doesn't get excited about some stuff sometimes. And so it's navigating the good side as well is I want him to be more excited and he wants me to come back down to earth sometimes. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> so, we got the same dynamic going there. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's good. And as long as our black holes aren't combined, <laughs> because there will be black holes, there is, there is stress and everything. Business is stressful. Um, I don't care whether you're an employee, a foreman, a laborer, you're going to have stress and things are going to be hard at times. Um, it's how you manage those times. And if you focus on why it's hard, it's probably going to be harder. And so we're really good about be, but sometimes you just want to be negative. <laughs> sometimes you just want to get it out and you need to vent it out and then you're good. So, so it's really identifying, you know, that with him that has really kind of strengthened our relationship, but also we're able to take that to our employees as well. And knowing when, you know, some of our leadership team, they need some of that, that role playing too. When do you need a friend? When do you need a peer? When do you need, you know, whatever you need? When do you need a leader to tell you what to do? Or when do you want to figure it out yourself? So it's all relationship management. And it, it's critical to when you're in a small to medium sized business, those relationships are so important. Yeah. Talk about how you train your foreman and, and your field team when it comes to relationship management. I think it'd be easy for us to talk about, you know, being a construction couple in business, but I think a relevant thing for us to talk about too is what you just said, relationship management in the field. What does that look like? Because just like difficult times happen as business owners, difficult things happen out in the field. You know, what, what kind of nuggets could you leave, you know, as a person who really develops leaders um, for the, for those foremen, those, those journeymen, the operators to better manage relationships out in the field? What we're really trying to focus on is managing each other's expectations and making sure that, you know, our, our foreman, our superintendent, that who they're managing, that they know what their expectations are. So, you know, in our head, we have expectations of people, of what they should be doing, how they should be doing it. And I think a lot of people come up short sometimes when it stuff's not done that way. And it, causes tension and it causes conflict. And what we're really trying to do this year is step back and realize that my personality is not the same as, you know, my superintendent or our foreman um, and being able to pick up their personalities and really look at, you know, what are their personality traits that has really helped us step back and deal with some conflicts we've had. We're a work in progress, always a work in progress, always will be a work in progress. So eventually I want to get our leadership team um, to take some personality tests, to take, you know, the DISC test and see, because I think it, at the core of stuff, it explains why somebody may react the way they do and why some people are offended when they react that way. And so really it comes down to communication and being able to train our foreman to listen first um, has really been, been helpful. And, um, our superintendent as well, he, you know, we're really taking a look at how AJ, how we feel the company needs to run to thrive and having those traits mimicked. Now, the hard part is everybody's not AJ. And this is something we're struggling with now is everybody's not going to be Trevor. Everybody's not going to be you. And, it's, it's opening ourselves up to other alternatives for how stuff should run and looking at the pros and cons. But at the heart of it, 
what, what we struggle with and what we're always trying to improve is the communication. And I think that is the biggest thing for our foreman and our, our leadership to learn is that. Yeah. And I like that you say to listen first. I think, you know, uh, like I said, what I've been learning myself is our drivers and our operators have phenomenal suggestions for the way we do business every day. And if, if you instill a culture of listening to that field team, I, I think the business can ebb and flow and grow exponentially with, with those, with the field feedback. Um, so I love that you lead it with listening first. I think that's a great suggestion for all the foremen and journeymen out there. Now, what about an operator, you know, because again, you're just, to me, you're a leadership, leadership developer by nature. (laughs) That's just who you are as a person. Give the operators out there, you know, I've had them reach out on Instagram and, and they have the same vision and passion that you were talking about. You left Conexpo with there's, there's operators out there who might be new to the field, but they have a vision and a passion to become a leader within the company that they're working with. What are some suggestions that you would give, you know, the operators, drivers, mechanics out there who want to grow their role? Talk to your, your superior, talk to the business owners. If you can find out how you add value to your team on day to day, what decisions increase efficiency and increase um, business outcomes and what don't, um, I think a big piece of where we've been getting frustrated in the last year or two is we want people to make smart business decisions that increase profit, but we've never told them what those, what those situations are or how to react. And so we expect them to, you know, make the smart decision where they might save some money when in reality, they don't even know what those are. And so it starts with training and it starts with letting a labor operator, whatever, just let them know how they make the company money. And because at the end of the day, if companies aren't making money and I don't, I hate to make it all about profit, but if companies aren't making money, employees aren't going to be adding value to anything. Yeah. And they're, they're not going to be able to grow their role. I mean, the, one of our lead operators says, Hey, I'm just out here to make you money. Cause the better you do, the better I do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's a true statement, you know, at its core. So we've kind of transitioned into the workforce development conversation, which is one I was excited to have with you, you know, growing so quickly from one to 40 in such a short amount of time, growing your business means adding more people. So tell us about what you look for um, when you're hiring new team members. Honestly, we just, we just look for good people. And I think, you know, I've listened to some Turner Mining and they do the same thing. They just look for good people because you can train good people. You, you can't train a completely unmotivated person to be motivated. That's just not human nature. So um, there was a point in some of our, our higher growth periods where we were just adding people to fill crews and to keep the jobs running. But what happened was we started having a lot of turnover. Um, and we didn't have that upfront criteria of, hey, do you fit with our culture? Do you want to grow with us? Do you, do you have these goals? And once we started implementing that and finding out more about a person, um, and that's, that's as simple as checking references. And we never, we never did that before because at the time, we just had to fill spots. And that was, I, I would not recommend <laughs> that growth for anybody because like I said, we had a lot of turnover. And each turnover is a cost to a business. But um, if you focus on the good people and check, check them for your culture, then I think that builds better teams from the start. And being trainable, I think that's something we look for too, is, is, is do they want to learn or do they think they know it all? 
So that's, that's an important piece too. Absolutely. No matter what the age, I mean, I think, you know, I love to see learning, a learning attitude. You know, I'm looking to improve. I'm learning to learn something, especially when you have young leaders at the helm of a business and you're going to have seasoned operators who might be in their fifties. It's important that attitude most definitely. So you're very purposeful though. You know, once you've, you've found those people that you feel fit with your culture, you're very purposeful about helping your employees achieve their true potential and providing growth opportunities. What are some of the things you do on a regular basis to ensure they're getting the support and training they need to excel? I think the first piece of, of tackling this question is why we do it. So there's two real reasons that we do this. And the first one is just to honestly build a stronger team. And when you ask our employees, and we do, we ask them, what drives them and what they want in a career, you'd be surprised that the majority is they're just looking for a resounding feeling of being valued. Like the work they do matters. They want to know that what they're doing matters. It's so simple, but, but at, at the heart of it, sometimes that's hard to implement. So um, once you have employees that are being fulfilled in their job, they're going to work more efficient. They're going to work harder. They're going to, lift people up around them to do the same. And so if you, if you put programs in place to recognize this and recognize people feeling valued, you only increase the business. And so the first time we asked our employees what their key motivator is, I expected, honestly, a lot of them to say money. But in reality, I was shocked to find that is a piece of it. No one can say it's not, but it's more feeling valued in a role. So the second piece of that, and it ties in with the money thing is, and especially this year with COVID, is bidding, as you know, is getting so competitive. Um, our employees are paid pretty well. So in order to be competitive, we can't just throw money at people. So putting programs in place for our employees to feel, one, valued, two, recognized, and accomplished, it adds this intangible benefit for working for us. And so, so like I said, I'm a how person. So if how we are employing people and if they are happy is, is only going to make a stronger team. So the employees are treated how I would want to be treated. And it, it goes back to that. Would I want to work for my own company? And so that's kind of the how of it. So we've kind of tackled, you know, this employee development from a couple of different aspects. So the first part is we all want our employees to have goals and encourage them to have something to learn. So you'd be surprised, or, or you might not be, um, I was, but the first time we asked some of our experienced operators what they wanted to learn, I, we got blank stares. Like, what do you, what do you mean? I, I just dig. But, but if you encourage them that there has to be something that they don't know that they wanna know, you really start getting them thinking. And, oh, well, I, you know, I'm really good at an excavator. I wanna try the dozer. How can I try the dozer? And so then through us knowing that, then we can set that up and accommodate that when we can. So I always joke, like I never, I always say, I never know what I want to be when I grow up. But when you ask somebody who's operated for 20 years, what they want to be when they grow up, they were just like flabbergasted. <laughs> and um, we want everyone to always be learning. You know, the industry is always changing. And if you're not changing with it or learning, you're going to get left behind. Absolutely. So you've really taken that approach pretty seriously, you know, developing your team and, and finding what their triggers of excitement are to grow, no matter how long they've been in the industry. 
Yeah. And I mean, I feel like you should always be wanting to learn something. I don't care if you've, you know, been an excavator operator for 30 years, maybe you don't know GPS. So let's get that in. Um, and I think it, it builds a sense of purpose as well. Um, so that's kind of the, the how we run our goal program and making sure, you know, if you don't know what somebody wants to do, you're not, you're not just going to do it and they're, it's not going to happen for them. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is we, and I'm sure I've heard you talk about this a lot, is we have a lot of great experienced operators. We have a lot of new people that are interested in construction. And there's a big disconnect between getting training and finding employers that will actually train these people prior to putting them on job sites. So what, what, are, what better way to share knowledge is than to have your, you know, your experienced team members you know, share and mentor. Now, we're working through personality traits and um, incentivizing mentorship. But ultimately, what we do is we have a mentorship program where the person that wants to learn tracks their hours. And then they're able to set goals. And eventually where we'd like to get is, okay, hey, you went, you went from no operating skill to wanting to operate an excavator. Hey, what's that benchmark? What's that sweet spot of number of hours or something like that, that we can actually start benchmarking and create development programs for employees to come in that have no operating experience to say, hey, if we do these five things based off our experience, you can be an operator level one, something like that. So you're actually tracking the progress of, of developing this within your company, which is exciting. We just started. So it's all a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. So your approach really is finding out what drives them, making sure they know they're valued, what they're doing matters. And now the way you're kind of taking that to the next level is what do you want to learn? You know, and even if you've been in, in this forever, there's something you want to learn. I imagine the retention that you'll experience from that approach is going to be pretty phenomenal. Um, it's just, it's human value, right? It's, it's not just production, it's people. And you're valuing key parts of just who they are as a person. Um, and I just feel like, wow, what a great approach um, to keep your people. Because like you said, it's expensive to lose people. It's expensive to fill seats to fill seats. Um, and, and we've experienced that ourselves. And, and I'm asking myself now, how do we improve our process with onboarding um, to where, like you just said, goals are set and actually met. Like we as leaders actually help support meeting these goals. So I'm excited to see this all come together. I hope at some point you'll be, you know, training, <laughs> training your ways and what you've learned because it's pretty amazing. Um, I love that you're just bringing that corporate background and just that people skills, soft skills, relationship management skills into a nitty gritty construction industry, which is very cool. So let's talk, we have to talk about this because you are a woman in a male dominated industry I personally think that's a positive, exciting role to fill. Um, it's, it's exciting to be a woman in this industry at this time, to be a part of the change. Being a woman and newer to the industry, it's probably easy to lack confidence and feel like you're not taken seriously and constantly having to prove yourself. That's come up for me. That's come up for a lot of the women out on Instagram. Talk us through how you've overcome that feeling of what professionals might call imposter syndrome. And, and leading with confidence. This is something you taught, you know, at a presentation that I listened to and was very impressed with. First, maybe talk through imposter syndrome, what that is. There's listeners that might not have never even heard that term like me. 
And then talk about us through how you've overcome that imposter syndrome and leading with confidence. So imposter syndrome, just as kind of a broad term, and you can Google it, there's a lot of stuff out there on it. Um, but it, it's pretty much just doubting yourself. And it all stems from different types of way you doubt yourself. So are you doubting your, um, your experience based on that you don't have enough? Or are you kind of looking at yourself like a fraud because you don't have all the data when you make a decision? So there are different types of, of ways you doubt yourself. And ultimately, imposter syndrome comes down to that. It's just doubting yourself or doubting your, you deserve the recognition of where you're at. And it affects everybody. Um, I know it affects women a lot. I've also talked to AJ about it and it affects him as well. It's, and I mean, I think there's a fine line too with, you know, not wanting to be overconfident and just kind of tout your praises, but um, it's finding that good balance of being able to celebrate your victories without, you know, those, those little people on your shoulder saying, well, you don't really deserve to be here kind of thing. But I'd like to say I didn't let it bother me at first, but um, coming into the industry full time in 2017 and coming in being a business owner in construction, like I felt like I had to know everything. Here I am supposedly supposed to be running a company and I don't know, you know, I don't know the difference between an excavator and a backhoe. Yeah. <laughs> And so I would, I knew what our loan payments were. I was very good at knowing what that. For sure. But I did not know what the equipment did. And I, it led me, it gave me this doubt of I shouldn't be a business owner because I don't know all this. And so I would go to bid meetings, like, you know, hiding in the corner, taking notes because I felt like everyone was judging me because I didn't know what our capabilities were. And um, what I started doing was I started doing something really simple and it's just asking why and asking questions. And I was shocked at the overwhelming amount of support that people, you know, come to when you ask them, how do you do something? Or, you know, I don't know this, I will find it out later kind of thing. It, it goes over really well. And you, it, it took probably, probably about till this year where I could confidently say that I don't need to know everything just because I'm a business owner. Um, it, it goes the same for, you know, an operator, you, you are not touted on your ability to drive a dozer when, you know, you're an excavator operator, it, you don't have to know everything just because you're in this bucket. So, I, and it, it really makes people feel good to be able to help you. And so, you know, when you look at what I did to overcome it, there's no secret sauce. It's literally just being in it day in and day out and asking those, those, those questions and not being afraid to. Yeah. And really owning what you don't know and, and knowing that you belong in the room, regardless of what you know, you're, you're there, you're there to be, to do something different to, you're there to learn, you're there to ask questions. And, and I like that you're really saying, ask questions and own what you don't know. That's okay. I, I just had a call with a huge GC and that we've been working with getting into. And it's the first time where I just said, I just want to be realistic with our capabilities. And I, and it looks like the jobs we're looking at with you, I might need to be lined up with a majority contractor with a bigger excavation contractor in order to support your goals. And it felt a little rough to get it out there, but that ownership of like, okay, we're not capable here, but we're capable here 
it totally was a confidence booster for me to just own exactly where we're at. Um, and, and that's something that I learned from you in your presentation, ask questions, put out there where you really are. And it, it's really a big confidence booster. So I love that part of the conversation. What advice would you give to other women working in the industry? And like you just said, this isn't just a, a woman thing, right? Imposter syndrome is really to me, something everyone struggles with in some sort of capacity, but let's get some specific advice from you for women working in this industry. And I'm going to be very, very basic. Find a mentor, find a mentor because that I believe is the game changer. Um, I, you know, coming into 2020, I struggled to find people and um, I wouldn't really say I was looking that hard, but I expected people to just come to me and, and help when in reality, that's, that's not going to happen. And so once you start reaching out and seeking out mentorship, I, you put yourself in such a good spot to learn, but to also build confidence in yourself. And it, it, is, it was life-changing for me. And I know you're big on mentors as well. And there's huge value in it. Yeah. And most of my mentors up to this point were men um, in the industry, which I, were phenomenal experiences for me. Now I'm, I'm starting to reach out more for women mentors as well, who have accomplished something in this industry, been through the ups and downs. I think that's important for women to have both. Um, but I love that advice. So this has been a really exciting conversation. We've, we, we really want to take a new direction this year with the podcast and focus on, you know, building better businesses, better business owners, stronger teams. And it couldn't have fit more perfect to have you launch season two of Contractor Conversations with Conexpo because I just feel like you very much focused on being a better leader creating better leaders, creating better teams. So just huge kudos to you for bringing that approach into our industry. I'm excited to see where it takes Brex. I hope, you know, I feel like this could be an entire series, right? <laughs> of just talking through the ups and downs of being a leader, but let's transition into what we like to call our rapid fire round um, to end this awesome, awesome conversation with you. Um, we're going to have a little fun with this one and are curious, what was your first job? And I want to know what AJ's first job was. Oh, AJ's first job was, I believe, detailing vehicles. Okay. <laughs> so for different different family members, which if you saw his truck now, um, you would, yeah, you would not guess that. But um, my first job was I made pizzas at Pizza Hut. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and the stink that making pizzas has on your clothes, like I'll never, I'll never forget it. Yeah, don't tell. <laughs> uh, do you follow a uh, Shamrock Sean? Yeah, him and his wife are, they love pizza, right? So I think yep. they wouldn't mind that smell. On the yep. Yep. <laughs> um, what was your first car? It was a Chevy Cavalier that I paid cash for. And um, we lit, we lived in a very snowy area in the mountains for college. And that thing, we called it the silver streaker because it was just, it, it went through snow better than any Jeep. And no way. We, we did that like minimum value trade in for it. And I still kick myself today. Yeah. We should have yeah. kept it. Like, why did we do that? <laughs> Just keep the streaker, right? <laughs> right. If you were not doing this, what would you be doing? Like doing construction or this podcast right now? <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't, if you weren't leading a construction company. Um, oh, I would be in the medical device field still helping people. I loved it. I had great experience doing it. Got it. What song gets you pumped up in the morning to uh, head into the offices? Oh, ah, uh, 
Um, I would go, this is probably silly, but I'm an alternative girl. So I would go my bloody Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just that gets me pumped. It makes me roll with ride, it. So, Got it. Yeah. Um, let's see who is one person you wish you could have dinner with. Okay. I don't know much about this person, but his name's Tanner Godfrey and, um, actually rock structures, Ryan introduced me to him and he actually sustained a spinal injury. So I don't want to say this wrong. I don't really know his full history, but his attitude about life is so positive and refreshing. And he overcomes so many things that so many people would complain about my, my, our six-year-old son, he has cerebral palsy and walks with canes and like Tanner, if you're listening to this, I want to meet with you because I feel like you could, you could change my son's life. So, and you're, you probably are changing people's lives. That's awesome. So Tanner Godfrey, if you are listening, we're ready to host a dinner for you (laughs) (laughs) and come to Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Um, Now, what is your dream piece of equipment? You've been to a few con expos. Where do you run to? Oh boy. I mean, I would just say I love one that's paid for. That is, that is my fa- my dream piece, but um, I am weirdly addicted to logging videos. So I love a good feller buncher. Like I, I don't know. I can watch logging videos all day. <laughs> that is awesome. Now we know what you guys do on date night, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been farming now. So we bought a farm and now he's teaching me about regenerative farming. So that is going to be popping up on my, my feed now, because I said it. That's very exciting. He's a farmer (laughs) and a cowboy, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I want to be. Yeah. You can be all at once construction, cowboy, farmer. Why not? Sounds a little bit too much like my husband moving on. (laughs) What technology is going to be the biggest game changer for your business in the next five years? I should have asked AJ about this because he's definitely more into the equipment technology. Honestly, for us though, it's not necessarily a technology. It's more an industry change of we're in, we're an industry trend. We're in oil and gas. So there is a big renewable energy is the buzzword. So I feel like getting tapped into that would be the game changer for our business for sure is, is getting into that. And what about in the office? Like what tech? I mean, I think it's, a, I, I see a lot of questions out there of, should I use QuickBooks? Should I use um, scheduling software? Um, what innovative technology you're seeing behind the scenes has been helpful for you guys or that you're excited about? No, no matter what the system, I think stuff needs to be integrated. So if you have a good system that syncs your project management software with your time tracking software, with your books or your accountant software, uh, I don't care what it is, as long as they're synced and integrating seamlessly, that is game changer for people. Got it. That's good advice for uh, Missy Sherber over here. We have like seven different softwares and they're not communicating with each other. I'm like, guys, we got to change this and make it better. Um, now talk about your favorite memory from ConExpo ConAg 2020. That was just such a surreal, great ConExpo. I remember meeting you and just that build wit. That was the BuildWit meetup, wasn't it? That we, we were at that bar for. It was like invigorating to just like meet other couples and women and people that you've seen on Instagram. And you're like, oh my gosh, there you are. You know, this is so cool. I had so many good memories. It's hard to pick one. I had just started our social media account in February. So a month prior. And so I didn't really know who people were. But I started to know, you know, over that last month, the month before Con Expo. And then when I 
went into Con Expo saying, okay, I need to meet these people because they are so passionate about the industry that we can share our passions together and only further the industry. So it was so cool to be so wrapped up in people that wanted to make a difference in a positive way for the construction industry. And it's just changed. It, it's just changed our business and where we want to go in the future. And, you know, as much as people like to dig on social media and, you know, there's always your haters out there. There is so much more positive light out there that if you go looking for the positive, you're going to find it so much more than the negative. And so being wrapped up in that was awesome at Con Expo. Yeah. Just the connections. It was the best one. Yeah, it was the best for sure. And just the buzz in the room of meeting people was my favorite memory. Just meeting like there's real young entrepreneurial, excited people in this industry. And we had a whole room full of them at that event, which is very cool. People with the power to, to make change. Yeah. And it's awesome. The power that some of the, the names in the room, you know, could make, make changes on. And it's so inspiring. Yeah. That was fun. I, I think we we're at a taco place very late midnight margaritas. <laughs> I don't know what we we're all talking about at the end, but it was very fun. Well, this was a really, really exciting um, conversation for us to have on Con Expo um, and, and for you to just lead the helm of these new conversations that we want to have as a leader. We really appreciate what you're doing in the industry, how you and AJ are just kind of changing the game in leadership style when it comes to construction. So thank you for being willing to share your time with us. I know you're a busy mama of four running a business of 40 <laughs> with a large fleet. So thank you again, Alicia. This was really awesome. And I can't echo the thank you to you and to Con Expo and to shedding light on, you know, contractors in the industry. And it only opens up the door to improve somebody else's business. So you guys are putting valuable nuggets out there for different, you know, contractors, operators, whoever to take them. And that is invaluable. And it, it'll only, you know, all these podcasts just keep getting better and better. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. Um, I hoped I lived up to expectations because if, if we can help somebody, you know, that makes it all worth it. So thank you. Well, thank you. And that's going to wrap up this edition of Con Expo Con Ag Radio. If you like the show and think other people should listen too, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We'll be back next time with another great guest. Until that time, be sure to visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect for even more ways to connect with the industry.